Welcome, everybody, to a brand new episode of Physics of the Mystics, the most exciting and the most uh, inspiring podcast wherever podcasts are offered, Physics of the Mystics. We're going to be talking about physics. We talk about physics. We talk about science. We talk about quantum physics. We talk about inspiration and wisdom that will help guide you through life, through the darkness of dark matter. And this is being offered to you by myself, Rabbi Shlomo Ezagwi. I am a rabbi here in South Florida, Palm Beach County, for the last 35 years. And I've experienced and I've uh, taught and I've been a student. And we've gone through a lot through these 35 years. And I'm sharing with you here on this podcast. I've also authored two books, incredible books. My mind is advice for the 21st century. I extracted from this incredible mind. Rabbi Moshe ben Maimon, the Rambam, Maimonides, out of his 14 volumes, Mishneh Torah, the great code of Jewish law, all those rules that are um, related to morals and, and, and uh, values and with their explanations, so that by um, reading my book, you would be able to be inspired and guided and, and, and assisted to define between right and wrong, good and bad. And uh, that's very important. Unfortunately, in the world that we're living in today, where everything is uh, confused um, and a person can go down the wrong path and he will suffer the consequence. When you go down the right path or you go up the right path, you're going in the right direction. The view is better and the destination is certainly uh, more fruitful. When you go through the bad path, so then um, the path itself is not very helpful. And of course, if you get anywhere, that's not going to be a good destination. But with the advice of Maimonides, advice for the 21st century, you will be instructed and you will be enlightened to uh, know at least and, and be offered the free choice um, between good and bad, life and the opposite. And then I also authored another book, Spiritual Soul Book. And it's over 800 pages and 300 chapters, small little chapters on the subject of mind, and psychology and emotions and the uh, the influence of mind. Where does mind come from and how does it influence our emotions and speech and spirituality and soul and God and Jewish holidays and incredible good stuff to become educated and inspired and uplifted um, through the reading of that incredible wisdom, which, of course, is based on, uh, for the most part, uh, the Labavitcher Rebbe, Rabbi Menachem Mendel Schneerson's talks. And now I'm working on a new book, Physics of the Mystics. And while we're doing that, I am sharing with you that knowledge here on this podcast, Physics of the Mystics. Before we get into today's subject, and I wanted to do something new, but after the incredible positive feedback I received from literally all over the world on last week's podcast, which was dealing with science and religion, I decided to just go on with another podcast on that same subject. But before I do that, I'd like to share with you my email address, physicsofthemystics at gmail.com. If you send me an email, I will put you into a raffle to win $260 gift card from Amazon. As simple as just sending me your email, you will be entered into a raffle to win a $260 gift card from Amazon. So today's subject is going to be a continuation. I wanted to talk about actually... Um, iron and the uh, hemoglobin, the heme molecule, and um, the way 
oxygen attaches to it and uh, and so how it's all related to the heart with its four um, compartments and uh, the four letters of God's name somewhat connected and related to what we talked about last week when we talked about nuclear fusion and we talked about hydrogen, the number one element and how it fuses four of them together to create the core of the sun and how that is exactly the essence of how God expanded himself into this world. The one God, Hashem Echad, the one God, and then the word Hashem is four letters, but the four turn into one, and that becomes what is the source of blessings um, here in this world. We talked a little bit about that two weeks ago. Before that, we talked about atoms and protons and electrons and protons being bigger than electrons, representing the male and the female, and the uh, female, the electrons and negative energy residing in, in seven shells. How many times does the bride go around the groom under the canopy of the uh, marriage canopy, the chuppah? Seven times. And there are seven dimensions to the emotions and to, 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 to the soul. Okay, we spoke more about that in episode. Um, that was the first real episode of Physics of the Mystics. So let's talk a little bit about today. Some things that are inspiring and somewhat in the direction of accurate mysticism. And then some of the things that are somewhat troublesome when it comes to connecting religion and science, or better yet, scientists and religion, because as we pointed out last week, there is no problem with science and religion. As a matter of fact, science helps us appreciate religion. And true religion will help us respect the conclusions of scientists. It's the scientists themselves that have ulterior motives or are um, ignorant that somehow can be an influence to separate um, the importance of religion and the belief and faith in God um, and, and it's the fault of the scientists, not science itself, because in this podcast, we're going to point out that science itself is actually leading more and more so and helping us understand and recognize and appreciate um, the influence of God as it is described in the blueprint of God, and that is the Torah. And that's what we're realizing and recognizing, discovering today more and more so in the fields of pure science. So Richard Feynman, a very, very big character in theoretical um, physics, he was an American theoretical physicist that was known for his work in the path of integral formulation of quantum mechanics, a lot of incredible things, the theory of quantum electrodynamics, the physics of superfluidity of supercold liquid helium, a lot, a lot of incredible things. He was uh, uh, recognized and known um, in his work for particle physics, um, uh, and uh, in, in many different, in many, many different positive ways. So one of the things that Richard Feynman, we talked about him last week uh, in a way that was somewhat problematic. So let me give him a little bit of some credit in his world of truth. Um, he's passed away already by now. And so his soul continues to exist. That's something we're going to get into also in our podcast. The mind is not the product of, the actual physical brain, because when the physical brain dies, that's the end of everything. But there is a mind as Roger Penrose. He's another guy. We'll get to Richard Feynman back in just a moment. But Sir Roger Penrose, he's a Nobel uh, Prize winner. And so um, he's, an, he's an English mathematician and uh, mathematical physicist. He's a philosopher of science and Nobel laureate in physics. And he says, um, that he says a lot of things, but one of the things Roger Penrose says is that consciousness must be beyond the physical mind. 
You know, I, I don't know if he ever made this metaphor or analogy, but when you look at a television and movies or news comes out of it, there's nobody sitting inside your television. There's nobody giving you the weather or telling you the news inside your television. But television is only a vehicle, a receptacle to receive what is being transmitted from a station, and you're only getting it through the television. The television doesn't create what you're looking at. And that was Roger Penrose. That is his thoughts about the brain. The consciousness, memory is not it is not the brain, the physical brain itself. There's something beyond all that. And um, it's, it's, it's very interesting. Um, he's written books on this subject. He's um, uh, proposed um, different theories, how exactly the physical brain is a receptacle to consciousness, which, like I said, he believes it comes from beyond the physical brain. There is certainly something that is beyond the physical world and the physical universe. And one of the things Richard Feynman said was that the world is a dynamic mess of jiggling things if you look at it right. And I believe what Richard Feynman is saying there, which is pretty simple when, you know, you study science and, and uh, quantum physics and uh, the quantum field theory, and that is everything comes out of an unseen energy field. Nobody's seen that field, but we see things that are emanating from it, right? So they... They extend and expand themselves from it, and then they contract and go back uh, like away into the field. That's the words that are used. And it's this expansion and retraction that keeps on extending itself until it becomes quarks. And then those quarks, through the four forces, um, they turn into protons, and then uh, they turn into electrons and then they turn into uh, neutrinos and they become the nucleus of atoms and then they turn into uh, molecules and then they turn into cells. And so that that expression that Richard Feynman said that the world is a dynamic mess of jiggling things is very much on target with what mysticism tells us, that the way God extended himself into becoming crystallized, so to say, was through a process that is known as Ratzai Vishuv. And that is expansion, where God expanded into becoming like a something, but then immediately it contracted back in again. But then it expanded a little bit further on, and then it, it contracted back in again. So even later on, when it becomes the physical world that we are living in, those two motions of expansion and contraction are always there in some kind of an element, either down at the quantum physics level or even on a very... Uh, um, on a very perceptible level, as in the case of the heart. The heart expands and it contracts. The, uh, the ocean waves, they expand and they contract. And so there is this dual kind of tension where the universe is expanding, but then through the force of gravity, right, it's held back in line um, to remain the mass and, 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 and the universe that it is. So that's a little bit of something that Richard Feynman helps inspire you know, um, our uh, 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 our uh, um, teachings in the field of mysticism. But I want to mention now another American physicist who happens to be also a Jewish guy, and I love the way he teaches quantum physics. He's an incredible uh, uh, teacher, teacher par excellence when it comes to the field of uh of theoretical physics and quantum mechanics, um, Leonard Susskind. He started out as a plumber, 
and he very proudly repeats that many different times. And they ended up to be a professor of theoretical physics at Stanford University. Stanford University. He's actually the founding director of the Stanford Institute of Theoretical Physics. But when it comes to believing in a God, this is where I have a problem with him. And that's where we recognize the limitations of his knowledge is maybe uh, up to the point of his strength. But then, you know, every human being is uh, finite and limited. And so I guess uh, this comes across pretty uh, prominently when it comes to the area of, uh, of, of theology. And this is what uh, Leonard Susskind says. I don't believe that the universe was designed by an intelligence. I believe that the universe was designed the same way the incredible human being was designed. And he goes on to say like this, before Darwin, it looked like some designer must have been involved in the creation of the world because what else could possibly account for the complexity of the human being and the human brain and so forth? But then he goes on to say, we eventually found out what it was really all about. And it's all random. Right. It's random mutations of a bunch of carbon, oxygen atoms and other stuff. And those mutations, they kept on uh, jiggling, to use the words of Richard Feynman, and uh, fusing or, 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 uh, or retracting one from the other a little bit um, here and a little bit there. And finally, everything evolved. Some things did better than others. And those things that are more populous than the things that didn't do well, that is what becomes the universe we're living in right now. According to Leonard Susskind, it's all randomness. It's all statistics. It's all the laws of physics that led to our design. And he concludes this little paragraph that I'm quoting. I think the same thing is also true for the universe. Now, listen, with all due respect to this nice Jewish boy, Leonard Susskind, who started as a plumber, you know, this is a, a ridiculous conclusion that he comes to. Number one, Mr. Susskind, right? You're saying you don't believe in a um, an intelligent designer because it's all a matter of physics. The laws of physics that combine through uh, a myriad of mutations, um, carbon and oxygen, until it finally becomes the world we're living in. Who created those laws of physics? Those laws of physics, which are so incredibly intelligent and so beautiful and so precise to be what they are in order to create the precision that this universe is all about. Where did that come from? You're saying the only thing we need is the laws of physics in order to create the world that we're living in. But who made those that law of physics? You say it's only a matter of mutations uh, uh, that, you know, the carbon and the oxygen, the nitrogen, whatever else it is that bring about, you know, the universe that we're living in. Where did the carbon come from? You know, the carbon is a tremendously complicated combination of energy, of, of, of positive energy, of negative energy, of, of, of neutral energy, of, 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 of quarks and, and of forces and of energy. And where, where did all that come to, to, to end up being the precision of a carbon atom or an oxygen atom? And then to have them work together to become um, the, the source of life that the entire universe is dependent on. Where did all out come from? That he's not addressing. So my point here on today's quantum, uh, on today's physics of the mystics, is to point out the limitation that these um, great scientists are limited by. They, you know, they, 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 they have tremendous discovery and which has tremendous utility, 
But when it comes to the expression and 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 his conclusion, as I'm pointing out, um, you know, and if he was uh, here in front of me, I I doubt he would have anything to answer. You would see, you know, and as actually, I think I believe I've heard him say in in some of his sermons or some of his speeches, you know, we don't go there. We don't we don't think where these things came from. Well, that's precisely the reason why there needs to be an intelligent designer who put those things in place and where it came out of. Where did those things come from? The oxygen, the laws, the fields of energy that give rise to the quantum fluctuations. Where did it all come from, Mr. Suskin? Give us an answer, Mr. Intelligent Fellow. And so um, that's that's uh, a little bit for you, for you guys on today's podcast to think about. But here is you know um, another thought. Um, and 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 I did get a feedback um, from a doctor, um, a, a good friend, that said that last week's uh, podcast was a little too long. So um, I'm going to ask for more feedback. If you um, uh, uh, prefer a short little podcast, which deal only with one thing at a time, maybe 20 minutes, or the more longer um, discussion, then I'm going to continue doing this week, unless I hear again from people, which I did this past week from all over the world, but they were all positive for the most part. But I want you to be brutally honest with me and let me know um, what you suggest I should talk about or what you think about what we're discussing or the lengths of what we're talking about, because, of course, I want it to be pleasant, entertaining and inspiring and educa educational um, and have your interest for the entire duration of this podcast. So let me um, talk about Dr. Rupert Sheldrake. And he he has this theory, which um, is, is pretty interesting. And he's best known for his hypothesis of morphic resonance. That's that's his great big, um, one of, I think, probably his biggest uh, uh, claim to fame. And what this morphic resonance is all about, it first started out like many things in physics and science and in just the world. People uh, um, uh, just disregarded and, and ignored his theory, but it's becoming more and more a consideration um, in the fields of science. And what, 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 he, what, what he is uh, uh, um, uh, bringing forth in, in this morphic resonance hypothesis uh, is a process where self-organizing systems inherit a memory from previous similar systems. So there is this kind of metaphysical type of uh, field that accumulates intelligence um, from one generation to the next. And as the, uh, uh, um, whether it's matter or atoms or cells, um, as they uh, duplicate, so one picks up from the one before it, so th and that's how they finally develop into the end product. Um, so, you know, the, 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 I think the procedure or, or the way of his thinking was like, for example, he says, you know, when genetics um, were being discovered, um, so everybody thought that once everything is mapped out, we will be able to predict um, uh, uh, people's uh, height and people's maybe even the, their form and maybe uh, their chances of, 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 God forbid, getting cancer and things of that sort. But it's ended up becoming, even after all the genes have been mapped out, there is what's called in the field of science the missing heritability problem. And that is that after all is said and done, we have a problem figuring out how 
how is it that people and creations are the way they are since it isn't really coming from the way we understand the genes to be operating? You know, as a matter of fact, um, there's a very, very small percentage of, 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 of sicknesses that we are able to predict and to see in advance from uh, the genes in a person's DNA. And so, um, therefore, his theory is that what happens to become at the end of everything is really not, is not encoded in the physical genes, but there happens to be some kind of a field um, out there that has a memory of sorts, and um, uh, and from one generation to the next, that's how there becomes a a development of 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 an influence that ends up becoming the height or the shape of a person and the forms because the forms of an animal, the forms of of, of a leaf, is not there in the gene. So how does it end up becoming that specific form or that specific shape? And that, that's his that's his whole sort of say theory. Now, that's incredible because um, that's something that's uh, discussed in the Talmud. That's something that's uh, there are many beautiful, nice Hasidic stories that emphasize and that highlight that idea. For example, um, the Talmud says a story that once two rabbis went and they were teaching. And um, one rabbi asked a question and um, a student went and answered the question. So um, when the student answered the question that quickly, the rabbi who asked the question was very, very um, distressed and he was unhappy. And the other friend said to him, what's so wrong? You got a, you got an accurate answer. And so the, the genius, the rabbi, he said, I've been working on an answer to this question for the longest time. And look how quickly this student was able to go and answer that question. So the rabbi, the friend, he says, he says what's, the, what's the big surprise? Once you develop the answer, through your deep thinking and through the knowledge that you have, you brought it down into the world that now this other guy was able, the student was able to be receptive and, 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 and pick up and answer what you took so long to develop. He was able to answer um, so quickly. So that idea is being, so to say, uh, uh, presented by Dr. Rupert Sheldrake as um, the hypothesis of morphic resonance. But the truth is that idea has already been presented and forwarded, right? Uh, literally thousands of years ago as a story in the Talmud. There, there are some stories um, from the Alta Rebbe, Rabbi Shner Zaman of Aliyadi. He would say, um, and, and, and he's not the only one that said this, that the best time to meditate is early in the morning in the forest. Why? Before everybody wakes up, and starts talking gossip and starts filling up the atmosphere with pollution, spiritual pollution. This is the 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 best time to commune and to meditate and to connect with God. Um, number one, early in the morning, and especially out there in the forest where there aren't too many other people um, there with him. So that idea you see is uh, an idea that Rupert Sheldrake is picking up finally from the ideas that have already been recognized as being a truth thousands of years ago. But here is where I take um, uh, a little bit of uh, exception with um, Dr. Uh, Rupert Sheldrake. 
And that is when he talks about morphic resonance and uh, and that there's a memory. You know, and he, he talks about panpsychism, where there is a mind in everything and there's a memory um, to that mind that is out there. And it remembers from uh, one generation or from one person's uh, 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 conclusion to the next person's conclusion that finally is picked up by uh, uh, the next the next creation. And so there's a certain and that's why that's how he explains how the universe uh, came together or the, the self-organizing, the self-organizing mechanisms are the result of morphic resonance. That's how he describes it. Um, of course, it goes deeper than that. It's God himself, right? He's talking about a field like in quantum physics where they talk about this quantum field theory. And they're saying that, you know, what they do see come, has to be coming out of somewhere. And so they give it a name and they don't want to call it God or the intelligence of God that is underlying and that is influencing the, uh, the quarks and the fields and their energies and whatever else. And so they've given it a name, the quantum field theory. Um, but that's how we are being able to relate to the idea that the mystics have been talking about already for thousands of years. When Dr. Rupert Sheldrake is talking about this self-organizing force, right, that accumulates memory and that it ends up, uh, uh, sort of say, influencing, controlling the uh, atoms to turn into molecules and then to turn into cells and into the complicated mechanisms that they end up becoming. So he says his morphic resonance um, really applies to these uh, um, uh, self-organizing uh, 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 matter like the universe and like the sun and, 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 and like atoms and molecules that by themselves happen to uh, uh, know the direction that they need to go into to become um, what they turn into. But when it comes to, for example, a computer, he says that's the influence of a person. There is no uh, uh, morphic resonance over there. So he says, like, for example, you know, if he believes in panpsychism, so maybe, you know, people say uh, maybe there's a mind in socks. He says, no. He, he says there is no mind in socks, but there is a certain kind of an influence of a consciousness and a mind that controls the self organizing matter. I want to go a little further and say that what Dr. Rupert Sheldrake is talking about is really the truth of the universe and of all matter down to the socks. The socks have atoms in it and they have uh, molecules in it. And that's what becomes, whether it's wool or whether it's uh, polyester and it's chemical or wherever it is, right? There is um, the mind of God that is within everything that exists here in this world. And it expresses itself differently in the different objects that exist here in this universe. So in some matters like the sun, right, without any influence from outside, it somehow directs itself into the sun through this incredible process um, that takes place. Um, when you're talking about the universe at large and you see the way the planets, they, 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 they turn around and they, they, they're held in place and, and each one complements each other in, in incredible, tremendous kinds of ways. So he says he wants to recognize that there is an influence that we can see in those grand matters. But the truth is, it exists also down at the level of every single object that exists here in this universe. And so, ladies and gentlemen, I think we're going to call it quits for today's um, podcast, Physics of the Mystics. 
But what we're talking about is, let me make a little summary. We mentioned Roger Penrose and his uh, guess that consciousness has to be beyond the mind. And he's hitting on something which is very much in line with mysticism. Of course, the mind, the brain is in the beginning of things. There is a soul. And it's the soul that is operating through the physical mind, no different than the electromagnetic uh, radio waves that enter into your smartphone and into your television and through your television. We talked about Richard Feynman and um, his his statement that the world is a dynamic mess of jiggling things and down at the core of things. That's exactly the way the mystics talk about um, uh, the world extending itself out of godliness and becoming the universe that we're living in. We talked about Leonard Susskind and as smart as he is when it comes to theoretical physics, He's very limited um, and, uh, when it comes to uh, his understanding of or his expression of whether he believes in the an intelligent uh, designer or not. Of course, it's got to be an intelligent designer. He's saying we don't need the intelligent designer because we already have the intelligence that's in the law of physics. Uh, so, you know, it's somewhat uh, difficult to understand what he's talking about. And then we ended up talking about um, Dr. Rupert Sheldrake and his hypothesis of morphic resonance, right, which falls as well in place with mysticism. Of course, there is outside of the physical world that can be touched and seen by uh, a microscope. Uh, there is an influence um, that uh, directs the form and directs the shape and directs uh, the direction of everything that is here in this universe. Um, it, it's not just uh, it, 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 it's not just uh, an unseen physical field, but it's a reality of spirituality. So we're going to call it quits for today's um, podcast, Physics of the Mystics. And in the future, God willing, next week, um, we'll talk about the next uh, podcast. I want to talk about um, iron and I want to talk. I want to get on to that one, hemoglobin. And I want to talk about how it attaches to oxygen and how it uh, is circulated by um, uh, the heme uh, uh, molecule in a, in, in a heart that is made of four compartments. And once again, I want to touch upon um, the one God who expresses himself in the number four, which is the essence and core of life within our bodies. Send me your emails to physicsofthemystics at gmail.com, and I will enter you into a raffle for a $260 gift card. It's as simple as that. And see you next time. Tell your friends that uh, this is the most uh, exciting podcast for anybody interested in the relationship and connection between science and mysticism to turn into.